That was a bit unusual having a reading from Ecclesiastes 9. We've done chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and we're meant to be doing chapter 4 this morning. We've been doing it a chapter at a time, but this morning we're going to do something a bit different. We're going to take the theme that is introduced in chapter 4 and look at it through the rest of the book of Ecclesiastes. And we're going to get a bit of a feel for the kind of way King Solomon goes round and round as he tries to wrestle with this theme that we're looking at this morning, which is the issue of injustice. Now, just to introduce that, I've got a a video clip from the movie Good Morning Vietnam. So let's just uh, sit back and enjoy. Now, I don't know about you, but that film messes with my head because my eyes are seeing one thing, but my ears are hearing something different. So I'm hearing a song about skies being blue and a beautiful world, but I'm seeing, you know, orange explosions. And I'm hearing about people holding hands and saying, I love you, but I'm seeing people rioting in the streets and a bloodstained thong. It's a song that kind of picks up the contradictions of this world. And that is what our world is like, isn't it? Good and bad. I received an email during the week from a friend of mine, Steve, up in Queensland about the floods. And he said the floods brought out two extremes in people. On one hand, there's volunteers from New South Wales and Victoria up there helping them clean up. And there's employers letting people have time off work for free to help clean up. And yet on the other hand... They had to close down Coles and Woolworths because the police were called in to stop fights. I don't know if you remember on the news when we first heard about the floods, we were watching people risk their lives to help other people in the floods. And yet the very next news story on one of the nights was the the news from Western Australia about bushfires that were deliberately lit, arson. And that is exactly what we've been discovering in the book of Ecclesiastes. On the one hand, this world is beautiful. It's a gift from God to be enjoyed. And yet, on the other hand, there is something wrong with it. And in chapter 1, King Solomon said this world is like a crooked stick. We look at it and we can see that it's twisted. We can see that it's bent. We can almost imagine what it should be like if it was straight. But we can't fix it. And this morning, we're looking at one of the most twisted aspects of our world, not natural disasters, not accidents, but people deliberately hurting others, injustice and depression, one of the most ugliest things about living on this planet. So turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 1. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 1. On the inside of your bulletin, there's a list of the passages that we'll be looking at and an outline of the talk. Again, I looked and I saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of the oppressors and they have no comforter. And I declared that the dead who had already died are happier than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been, who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. Here King Solomon looks again out on the world and he sees suffering, oppression. In other words, rich people or powerful people abusing and oppressing poor people. Now, so far in Ecclesiastes, King Solomon's answer to the problems of the world has been eat, Drink, enjoy yourself, 
take the good times in life as a gift from God. That's not his conclusion here, though, is it? This time, he says, it's a terrible thing to be alive and witness these things. In fact, you'd be better off dead so that you don't have to see some of the terrible things that go on in this world. Verse 2. And I declared that the dead who had already died are happier than the living who are still alive. But then he goes on to say even better than being dead is to never have existed. Because if you live and die, you've still witnessed the terrible things in this life. But if you've never been born, you don't even have to witness the evil. Verse 3. But better than both is he who has not yet been, who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. Now, maybe you don't feel that, the weight of that. The world is so terrible, I'd be better off dead. I think for us here in Dubbo, in Australia, oppression is not an immediate or great problem. We have a fair legal system. We have a good police force with guys like Marty in it. In the other parts of the world, that is not the case. It is a huge problem in other parts of the world, the kind of stuff we were hearing about from Colin, and it is a huge problem in the book of Ecclesiastes. And so what we're going to do is just kind of join with King Solomon as he observes his world and looks out on injustice. Turn with me to chapter 7, verse 15, where this idea of of unfairness and oppression comes up again. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 15. Here, though, there's a little bit more. It's not just that people do evil. It's that they seem to get away with it. Chapter 7, verse 15. In this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these. A righteous man perishing in his righteousness and a wicked man living long in his wickedness. Now there's a new problem. A good person, but bad things happen to him, and a bad person, but he gets a long life. See, the problem, why bother being a good person if bad things are going to happen? Why not just oppress others if you can get away with it? What is God doing about all the evil in this world? God is in control of the times, isn't he? We saw that last week. So why doesn't he look out for people who obey him? Why doesn't he show some preference to people who love him. I mean, look at Job. He was the most upright, godly man in the whole world. Where did it get him? It's as if, as King Solomon looks out on the world, that good and bad just goes unnoticed. And so in verse 16, King Solomon reaches what seems like a strange conclusion. Verse 16. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked, and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp one and not let go of the other. The man who fears God will avoid all extremes. Balance, he says. Don't be too good. Don't be a goody-goody. That's not worth it. Don't waste your effort on that. But on the other hand, don't be too wicked. Don't be too foolish. Because you do have some control over what happens to you, don't you? If Avoid too many drugs... That will end your life. Avoid driving recklessly. So not too much good, but not too much bad. Walk the middle road. Now, my guess is that's how most Australians live. They look out on life. They observe the world. 
And the conclusion they reach is, just stay out of trouble. Don't be so good that you miss out on fun things. Don't, you know, be religious or go to church or anything like that. Don't be too good. Don't be too bad. That'll end your life early. And in that article I quoted a couple of weeks ago by Philip Adams, an atheist, that is exactly the conclusion he comes to about life. He says, this is from the Sydney Morning Herald, Philip Adams, it's much the same with morality. Morals are simply rules that we set up like traffic lights to sort things out, to prevent collisions, to keep things moving along in an orderly fashion. Most of the time, I obey traffic lights. But I'll be damned if I sit at the red light at three o'clock in the morning if I'm the only car at the intersection. Ditto with moral moral regulations. See, what he's saying is this. If being a good person helps you get through life better, be a good person. But if it's not going to hurt anyone, break the rules. Who's going to notice? And that does make sense of life under the sun. It makes sense of life just in terms of what we can observe by looking around the world, life with our Bibles closed. If there's no right and wrong bigger than us, why bother being perfect? If you can cheat on your taxes without getting caught, do it. What harm have you done? You've made yourself a bit of money. If you want to sit home and watch a triple X rated video, what's it matter if no one sees you? If you and your partner love each other, what's it matter if you're gay, straight, married, unmarried, or otherwise? That's because without God, there's no basis for morals, there's no right and wrong. Any point to being a good person? Well, yes, if it keeps you out of trouble. Now remember, Ecclesiastes is about King Solomon setting out to observe life under the sun, what we can work out just by looking around the world. What you end up with is a mess. You end up pretty much with whatever you can do, get away with it. And in fact, King Solomon doesn't seem to like where this ends up. So he comes back to this idea again and again to try and tease it out a bit more like a moth to a flame. Surely it must be better off for people who do good. Mustn't it? Wickedness must be punished. Otherwise, this world doesn't make sense. Hitler, six million Jews killed. Stalin, Pol Pot, they can't get away with what they've done, can they? Or have they got away with it? And so in chapter 8, we come back to this issue of justice. And again, King Solomon's question is, is there any point to being a good person. Chapter 8, verse 12. Although a wicked man commits a hundred crimes and still lives a long time, I know that it will go better with a God-fearing man who is reverent before God. Yet because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them and their days will not lengthen like a shadow. Here King Solomon says, I know that good people will be better off. It's just the opposite of what he just said. He's right, isn't he? Good people will be better off, won't they? Or will they? See, how do we know? We might like to think that you're better off being a good person. And so I can see why someone would come up with a concept like karma and be attracted to it. It's comforting to think that if you do good, 
then somehow good will come back around to you. I sold a computer to a guy the other day, a hard drive to a guy who was putting together a computer for someone and he was going to donate it to an old lady. And I said, why do you do that? He said, oh, it's karma. Hopefully it'll come back to me one day. Now you can see why people want an idea like that. But the problem is that is not what we observe about the world. And Solomon knows that. Verse 14, there is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. Righteous men, good people, get what the wicked deserve. And the wicked men get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless. So I commend the enjoyment of life. Because nothing is better for a man under the sun than to eat and drink and be bad. Glad, sorry. So we come back to the same problem. He wants there to be something good for good people. He observes the world and he doesn't see it. Good things happen to bad people. Bad things happen to good people. There is no justice in this life. And if there is a God, it seems that he hasn't noticed the good people or he hasn't noticed the evil that's going on in the world. Why doesn't God step in and stop it all? Fix things up. That's pretty much where King Solomon ends in chapter 9. Turn with me now to chapter 9, the chapter that was read for us. You might be thinking, come on, Wayne, give us the answer. We know Jesus solves all this. But this is what life is like for 99% of people out there. And these are the kinds of questions that you need to be asking people. Solomon, chapter 9, verse 1. So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. But no man knows whether love or hate awaits him. This is like we saw last week. Even with our Bibles closed by looking at and observing the world, we know there's a God. It's written on our hearts. We just don't know what comes after we die. So verse 2, this is his conclusion. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As with the good men, so with the sinner. As it is with those who take oaths, so it is with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes them all. The hearts of men, moreover, are full of evil and there's madness in their hearts while they live. And afterwards, they join the dead. It's the same problem, isn't it? So much of a problem that King Solomon calls it an evil. You can give your whole life to helping other people, where does it get you? Nowhere. You still die, and you don't know what happens after that. You can be a murderer. What does it matter? It doesn't. Everyone dies. Is there any point to living a good life? Well, just by observing this world, it's hard to work out an answer. And so what is the conclusion of King Solomon? What do we do about all this evil in the world? Verse 7. Go, eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart for it is now that God favours what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days for this is your lot in life. And in all your tales, toilsome labour under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. 
For in the grave, where you're going, there's neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. How does that passage sit with you? Basically, it's look on the bright side of life. Turn the news off, change channels, watch some more TV, forget about what you saw and just enjoy yourself. You're going to die anyway. It sounds like that old song, pack up your troubles in your old kit bag and smile, smile, smile. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing it. While you've a Lucifer, that's a, a, a match to light your fag. Smile, boys, that's the style. What's the use of worrying? It never was worthwhile. Pack up your troubles in your old kit bag and smile, smile, smile. That was a marching song written in World War I. As long as you've got a lighter and a smoke, don't worry about what's going on about, around you. Don't worry about the death. Don't worry about the guns being fired at you. Chin up. Look on the bright side of life. That song, Pack Up Your Troubles in Your Old Kit Bag, won a competition for the best morale-building song of the war. The guy who wrote it, British Army Surgeon Felix Powell, sadly the song didn't work for him. He took his own rifle and shot himself in the heart. Committed suicide. Because chin up and smile doesn't quite cut it when you're honest about some of the things that you witness in this world. Eat, drink and be merry doesn't quite cut it either. See, there, if all there is to this life is what we can work out by ourselves, you only have two options. Ignore the evil, eat, drink and enjoy life, if you can, or become so overwhelmed by it that you reach the conclusion that you're better off dead. But there is another option. What if there is more to life than just what we can observe? What if the things we do here will be called to account after we die before a God? What if wrong will be fixed up? What if there is more to life after we die? See, we're not meant to be satisfied with the answers Ecclesiastes gives here because look at how the book ends. Turn with me to chapter 12, verse 8. The whole of Ecclesiastes has been written inside a bubble, a bubble of life under the sun, King Solomon calls it, what we can work out ourselves by observing the world. And if that's what you're going to base your life on, here's the conclusion. Chapter 12, verse 8. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. That's not where the book ends, though, is it? King Solomon can't leave it there because he knows there's more to life. He knows God is real. And so in the last six verses of the book, which we haven't looked at yet, we see the real conclusion. In the last six verses of the book, we look outside the bubble of what we can observe to what God has to say about life, and we discover that there is more. Verse 13. Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Often we see Judgment Day 
as a negative thing, but this is wonderful news. King Solomon has been wrestling with the problem of injustice in the world. Here's the answer. God has noticed the evil in the world. He does care about it. One day, he will fix it. And some of us won't feel the incredible comfort of that because we haven't seen enough injustice. But some of you have seen terrible things. Some of you have had terrible things done to you. When justice is not done, it can be hard just to let it go, can't it? It eats away at you. But it's okay. God knows what's happening. God does see what is happening in this world. Every bit of it. God sees how people have mistreated you. He sees where people are getting away with lies. He does care. He will bring every wrong to account. So we don't have to get people back for what they've done to us. In Romans it says, don't take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Jesus is the best example of that, isn't isn't he? When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Why? Because he knew God's judgment was coming. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And in fact, when we think of some of the terrible things that people have done and that one day they will be held to account for it. Well, Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you. Because what a terrible thing it will be to fall into the hands of the living God, unforgiven. It would be better for some people if life was meaningless. Because when God judges us, nothing will be overlooked. God's judgment is a comfort, but... God's judgment is also frightening because our wrongs will be called to account as well. No one can hide on judgment day. It's easy to look at the world and cry out for justice, but when God does come and bring justice, it won't be half a job. He will fix up all the injustice, and that includes the things that you and I have done. God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing whether it is good or evil. What King Solomon didn't know, though, what doesn't come at the end of Ecclesiastes, what King Solomon could never have imagined is that God, in his mercy, would provide a way for us to escape his judgment. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so yet again, Ecclesiastes helps us to appreciate Jesus. The justice he will bring for the wrongs of this world and the salvation he will bring for those who trust him. Let's pray. Father, thank you that there is a day coming when you will right the wrongs of this world and you will fix up everything. 
And Father, thank you for the way that that makes sense of this life now. Thank you that we can leave justice up to you when we can't achieve it here on, in this world. Father, thank you that not only do you promise there'll be a judgment day, but you've sent Jesus to die for us so that if we're found in him, we'll be forgiven on that day. Father, as we look out on our friends and family and the people who live in Dubbo and Australia and the rest of the world, so many of them are living in that bubble of Ecclesiastes, unable to make sense of the world, unaware of your coming judgment and not trusting in Jesus. And so we, we pray that we might see the urgency of that. We pray that we might do everything in our power to live for Jesus and let others know about him. Father, thank you for the book of Ecclesiastes, the way it's honest about this world. And thank you for the way it helps us to appreciate Jesus. Amen.